Hello and welcome to Thanks for the Knowledge, Fanbyte's weekly news show rounding up the headlines in games, entertainment, and one handy podcast. I'm your host, head of Fanbyte Media, John Warren. Um, I missed last week and I, I hate to do that. I don't like that. We got super busy with stuff in LA. We were there for the game awards. Um, and I we had a plan, but I just kept getting super busy with meetings and other stuff coming up. So I'm so sorry that I missed. But I'm gonna make it up to you. Because we have a slam banger of a show for you today. Not only did I get to talk to Nate Austin, the lead developer of Wildermyth, one of Fanbyte's favorite games of 2021. That's a really great conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, I also got to talk to Miriam LaChapelle and Gemma Salome, who are both uh, working right now for Vodio Games. They just formed the first officially recognized video games labor union in North America. Yeah, they did that. It's history. The, the Secretary of Labor tweeted about it, and they took time off uh, of their busy schedules. They actually had a day off the day they talked to me because they have a four-day work week. <laughs> they talked to me on their morning off about that whole process, about how this week has been, about what it means for the rest of the industry. Uh, I love that conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, before we get to those two amazing interviews, we have to get to our top story. <music> Well, a lot has happened since we last talked. There's been the TGAs. We've had a Nintendo Direct. Uh, well, excuse me, an Indie World Direct. Uh, Nintendo, don't come after me. That was a slip of the tongue. We've had a lot of stuff go on, but I want to start this week with NFTs. Now, listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you about NFTs. Uh, you don't, you, I don't need to explain them. There was an episode a few weeks ago where I had a guest on and we talked about NFTs. You're probably tired of hearing about them if you're on the internet. Uh, some people say they destroy the environment. Some people say they don't. Um, I think the I think for the most part, crypto is probably bad for the environment. Um, I think that it's also producing some of the worst art. I also think that its biggest proponents right now are mostly grifters. Uh, and the guy that posted that video of his, his crypto farm is a weird gun freak. Listen, I don't need to tell you how I feel about NFTs. I think they're pretty bad. Uh, but I'm going to just give you straight facts about Stalker. Yeah, you know, Stalker, that really uh, critically acclaimed uh, total cult classic that's getting a sequel. Uh, Stalker 2, Heart of Chernobyl, is coming out relatively soon. They announced their plans to integrate with NFTs in their upcoming game. Uh, this was announced a little while ago, uh, but then there was some online backlash and uh, Stalker 2's uh, uh, developer, uh, the G GSE game world, they decided it would be prudent for them to basically explain their position and double down, frankly, uh, on it. Uh, they defended their decision to use it on uh, Thursday afternoon by saying, and I'm going to read most of this. Okay. Because it's kind of wild. Dear stalkers. We want to give a detailed comment on yesterday's announcement of NFT bonuses for Stalker 2. GSE Game World is an independent game development studio. We have no publisher, but we do have wonderful partners, an incredible team, and a dream of a game that you will sincerely love. Just like all the other devs, we need two main resources, time and money. 
Soccer 2 Heart of Chernobyl is truly the biggest and most complex game we have ever created. All the funds that we earn during the development process, including the potential income from NFT, will be spent on improving the long-awaited game to make it even better. Why did we choose NFT? It's a new technology, and we are eager to do NFT right. And that was put in little brackets for emphasis. Give certain fans an opportunity to, again, brackets, to get into in brackets the game without interfering with other players experience that's why the tokens are entirely optional and have no impact on gameplay or story no weapons quests locations etc and can be activated only before the game release yesterday we announced the first tokens the faces of several npcs they aren't even involved in the story but some of you thought we would go a bit too far from here that's why we want to transparently disclose our plans for the future nfts we are going to implement nicknames of the owners on some in-game desks, walls, etc. Please remember it's a large open world we're talking about. Gloves, tattoos, skins, badges from the multiplayer mode, releasing as a free update after the story campaign, and collectible cards, D-Market platform only, no integration in Stalker 2. <clears throat> D-Market was chosen as a partner as a video game-only blockchain platform. They love games, and they were eager to work with us on this kind of soft NFT realization. D-Market works on a private blockchain system with bridges into other networks such as Polygon and Solana, with priority to provide low energy consumption and minimize CO2 emissions and other negative environmental impacts. In this statement, we are as honest with you as we can. We are not asking for support, but at least we hope you can hear us and understand our reasons. The text turned out to be very big. <laughs> Thank you for reading it all to the end. Please accept our apologies for yesterday's miscommunication and all the feelings it caused. We know that you wish only the best for a game and we appreciate it with love GSE game team. Okay. So 30 minutes later, after a lot of backlash on Twitter, where, where they posted the statement, they took it down. They took it down and they posted a new message and it said this, Dear Stalkers, we hear you. Based on the feedback we received, we've made a decision to cancel anything NFT related in Stalker 2. The interests of our fans and players are the top priority for the team. We're making this game for you to enjoy whatever the cost is. If you care, we care too. With love, GSC Game World Team. Okay. So I want to talk about I want to talk about that second message. That there's a long M dash between we're making this game for you to enjoy and whatever the cost. They're clearly saying that they were banking on these NFT sales to basically prop up the budget of this video game. And I have no doubt that the video game is going to be expensive and it was always going to be expensive, frankly. Um, but this is. This is a pretty interesting message in terms of events. So they are basically turning off all the NFT stuff that they were going to put in the game, uh, which is kind of surprising how fast they turned around on this. And I think even, even after this happened, even after the reversal, uh, there's still going to be backlash. There's still going to be conversations about what Web3 and crypto and NFTs are going to do for video games going forward. And there are already people who are mad about the reversal too. So there are folks on all sides of this and it's a weird and I'm sure frustrating even for the stalker team. I'm not saying I'm sympathetic. They shouldn't have done the NFT thing to begin with, but I'm sure this is a frustrating turn of events for basically everyone. Um, I don't know how they're going to basically do this. Maybe they'll do early access and sell some stuff. It clearly, 
clearly seems like they were going to use money from NFT stuff to prop up the development of this game. And now that's not an option. So we'll see what the team does. Uh, by the way, Peter Molyneux is back and he's got an NFT game. And apparently it already made $54 million of selling virtual land. Barf. All right, let's quit talking about NFTs, shall we? Let's talk about let's talk about Nintendo's. I'm sorry, that was completely improvised, um, and I regret I regret the error. Uh, let's talk about the uh, Nintendo Indies. They had an Indie World Direct. Nope, <laughs> Indie World Event. Sorry, I keep using Direct. Nintendo's going to come after me. Um, they announced some cool stuff. They showed some cool stuff off. I'm going to go through it really quickly. Uh, sea of Stars is a RPG from the creators of The Messenger, which is a nifty uh, Ninja Gaiden action game that you can get right now, also on Nintendo Switch. Uh, uh, Yasunori Mitsuda, who did the music for Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, uh, is doing some stuff for this game. So that's a pretty big deal. It's also a prequel to The Messenger, so it might benefit you to play The Messenger before. And that's a uh, pretty good game uh there is a 3d exploration action title coming out uh in spring 2022 called alicia the oblivion i'm gonna take that again excuse me sorry alicia the oblivion of twin goddesses uh that's from a taiwanese developer uh underscore um and it's gonna split gameplay between two sisters one that uses motion controls for solving puzzles the other requires going into handheld mode to use touchscreens. It's kind of an interesting idea. It will be a Switch console exclusive, of course, because how else would you do that on the other consoles? Uh, that's, again, spring 2022. There's a train murder mystery. Listen, you had me already a train murder mystery, but it's called Locomotive. Oh, my God. Uh, Stardew Valley publisher Chucklefish is doing that one. Um, and uh, with developer Robust Games, that game is also coming to Switch. Of course, in summer of 2022, um, there's a visual novel music game called After Love EP. Um, that's from the Pixel Pixelnesia. It's an Indonesian development team. So that's kind of cool. This is a very internationally relevant uh, crop of games. I think that's very neat. Uh, summer 2022 for that as well. There's a zombie cooking game called Dungeon Munchies. It's a roguelite from Majala. The player character's dead. No release date on that yet. Uh, Figment 2 Creed Valley is a musical game made in Denmark. Uh, looks a little bit like Bastion, uh, but the boss fights are kind of symphonic showdowns, is what they said. February 2022, you won't have to wait a whole long time, but you can also play a free demo that's uh, available today. Uh, Let's Play Oink Games is a set of virtual board games. It's got art games, investing games, dice rolls, uh, it is a timed console exclusive, and it's available right now. Hero Beat Studios uh, is making Inling Extinction is Forever. Uh, it has already been announced, but uh, it's a it's a it's a fox. You're a fox, and you're trying to survive with her cubs. Seems like it could be really sad. I don't know. I'm, I'm I might cry at that one. Uh, spring 2022 Ollie Ollie world. That's a private division, uh, game. Uh, those folks are good. Uh, that's going to be more of an open, not open world, but more of an exploration based Ollie Ollie, uh, title with a lot of different environments, uh, some track creation. 
Uh, pre-orders start today, or excuse me, last week. February 8th is when the game comes out. River City Girls 2 was showed off uh, with the gameplay for the first time. Uh, it's got online co-op. It's got other multiple characters. Uh, that game is kind of a sleeper from a few years ago. It's really good. Summer 2022. It's going to hit Switch and probably other platforms because the last one did as well. And finally, Omori, uh, which was a PC game uh, that, that's a little bit like Undertale, uh, but it was very, very well received. It is actually coming to Switch in the spring so that was the crop of indie world games that got talked about uh chicory uh is uh also out on switch right now yeah that's right chicory it's one of the best indie games of the year and it's out on switch i recommend playing it on switch before i'd play it on another console because um the touchscreen stuff might be better than using uh like the controller cursor so that's a good platform to play chicory on and chicory is really good you should play it super cute um hey by the way activision blizzard uh that saga continues um after folks uh with the af uh, better abk uh group wanted to uh form a union they announced that they wanted to form a union after all the shenanigans that have happened over the past few weeks uh their chief administrative officer brian bulatow uh sent a company-wide email that said this quote as you may have seen yesterday, there was a communication reported by the Communication Workers of America, CWA, that asked employees to sign and submit union authorization cards. I want to be clear about this. The leadership of Activision Blizzard supports your right under the National Labor Relations Act to make your own decision about whether or not to join a union. As you make this decision for your future, we ask only that you take time to consider the consequences of your signature on the binding legal document presented to you by the CWA. Once you sign that document, you will have signed over to CWA the exclusive right to represent you for the purposes of collective bargaining concerning all terms and conditions of employment. That means your ability to negotiate all your own working conditions will be turned over to CWA, just as the document says. Achieving our workplace culture aspirations will best occur through active, transparent dialogue between leaders and employees that we can act upon quickly. That that is the better path than simply signing an electronic form offered you by CWA or awaiting the outcome of a legally mandated and regulated bargaining process sometime in the future. Okay. You don't have to read too hard between the lines to see that Brian Bulatow is doing some union busting tactics before a union even forms. He's basically scaring people into signing a piece of paper uh, that that would, yes, hand over negotiation terms to a collective bargainer. But hey, you know what? Collective action creates often really good terms for people. We're going to talk about that pretty soon with two people who just went through it. So I'll say that this kind of... Um, this kind of action uh, that Brian Bulatow took to uh, scare basically the employees of Activision Blizzard is a huge bummer and probably a huge misstep because I don't know if it's going to be effective, especially after uh, leadership has constantly shown at Activision Blizzard that it doesn't know what it's doing. It doesn't know what it's talking about. It can't even fake being ethical because they can't even figure out what that is. So I'm not really sure that Brian Bulatow is the best person to tell people whether or not to uh, join a union. But that's what's going on with that uh, this week. <laughs> so so we'll see what happens. Uh, but more about the CWA and uh, collective bargaining and unions in the games industry in a little bit. Um, 
Sony acquired Valkyrie uh, Entertainment, one of the studios that helped them make God of War 2018. That continues Sony's kind of spree of buying these little satellite studios that have made uh, games with them. So they will work on other major uh, party titles. So this is a big get for the Sony team to get another great satellite studio that has made some cool games with them in the past. You know, I said we were going to quit talking about NFTs, but I just have to take one parting shot. Uh, Ubisoft is uh, doing a ton of NFT stuff. They say it's going to be kind of the future of their business. And uh, Imran had some fun with the story that I'm about to talk about. Um, uh, they're going to remake Splinter Cell. Can you believe it? They're finally going to make a game where Sam Fisher gets to be the, the, the star. And it's not going to be a thing that he just shows up in in a cameo or like Mario Rabbids or... I don't know, Rainbow Six Siege or whatever. It's going to be a standalone game. But uh, Imran had some fun. And on the on the actual headline, it says NFT developer Ubisoft confirms new Splinter Cell remake. That's very funny, Imran. Imran's very funny. But yeah, the team is uh, is remaking Splinter Cell. Um, and the team also wants you to know pretty much if the remake goes well, they might make more stuff. So if you're hoping that Sam Fisher's uh, story would actually continue and not start all the way over, then you gotta, you basically gotta go buy the remake whenever it comes out. It'll be a while. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much the news from Ubisoft, uh, premier NFT makers in the industry. Uh, we had the TGAs, the Game Awards, uh, hosted by Jeff Keighley. We voted in this process. There are a bunch of winners. We don't have to talk about all of them. I want to talk about some of the uh, some of the announcements and things that we saw. Um, uh, let's start with uh, let's start with a couple things. Um, you're going to start being able to play Android games on PC. That's kind of an interesting announcement. Google Play is going to bring Android games to PC. You don't have to play your, you don't have to use your phone to play stuff. I don't know which one of those things that you'll want to play, but like it's available to you. Uh, March 16th is the release date of Tunic, which is a Zelda-like with a fox that has been in development. Honest to God, I feel like it's been in development for like seven years. It's been a really long time, but I'm excited to get my hands on that finally. Uh, Thirsty uh, Thirsty Suitors is a new game from the folks that made Falcon Age, uh, and that's an Annapurna joint, so cool. Uh, Homeworld 3, Steven uh, Strom is very excited about this. It will release at the tail end of next year. Uh, Steel Rising is an alternate history game about the French Revolution, but with robots? What? Um, Babylon's Fall still exists. You can play it on March 3rd. And you have to have a constant internet connection to play Babylon's Fall. That game could be the next like big disaster, I feel like. Anyway, uh, Hellblade Sinua Saga got a wild uh, trailer. They go into a cave and they fight this like big guy and they set him on fire. Um, it's a really wild trailer. They said it was all game footage. I don't actually know how that's possible. Um, but it looked pretty wild. That's cool. Uh, PUBG, the original, is uh, going free to play on PC and consoles in January. So if you, for some reason, have never checked out PUBG and you want to play one of the uh, major inspirations for the current crop of Battle Royale games, notice I didn't say the first Battle Royale game because it's not even remotely true. Um, but it is really the big, the first huge one. Uh, you'll be able to play it in January for free. Uh, Iron Galaxy and Epic Game Studio uh, talked about Rumbleverse, which is like a brawling battle royale game. It looks really, really cool. Um, uh, Warhammer Space Marine 2 was a really interesting announcement. So that's a decade after the original game came out. Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty 
pretty pretty wild. Uh, Crossfire X uh, and its Remedy developed single player campaign will be coming to Xbox on February 10th, which is pretty interesting. Th- this is a really w- uh, wild one. X Bioware veterans got together and made a game called Nightingale, which is a like a rift, like they going through different dimensions to fight these creatures. It looked really, I don't know, it looked really interesting. It was probably the best trailer I saw um, at the at the at the game awards um silent hill creator uh keichiro toyama uh, talked about slitterhead that's right slitterhead anyway it shows normal people in japan uh turning into grotesque monsters um can you believe it grotesque monsters in my silent hill inspired game it's called slitterhead that's amazing right um there is a star wars game coming out called star wars eclipse it is a High Republic Star Wars game. The trailer for this game looked incredible. I have to say it. It's It looks so good. But here's the thing. It's being made by Quantic Dream. David Cage. I don't need to tell you everything about David Cage. Is that he's done and said some really stupid shit. He's made some really bad games. But this one looks good, I have to say. But we don't know what it is. We have no idea what it is. Some reports say it's going to lean on action, um, but that would be kind of a different different situation for Quantic Dream because um, they've really been less about action over the past few years. But it looks really interesting. Uh, they did a first uh, trailer for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It's got Tails in it. Knuckles showed up. Um, that's cool. There's an open world Sonic game called Sonic Frontiers. It looks like Breath of the Wild. And it actually looks pretty cool. Um, May 24th is the release date for Forspoken, which is a very bizarre game that we have a preview up right now of on fanbite.com that Imran wrote. You have to kind of read it to believe it. I'll let you just go check it out. Uh, There's a Wonder Woman game coming out. Uh, Monolith is making it. It'll have a Nemesis system, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, And uh, Alan Wake 2 got a trailer. That's right. It'll be out in 2023. Uh, it'll be part of Remedy's publishing relationship with Epic Games. And that's a really big announcement. So Alan Wake 2, if you're into that. Uh, all right, I'm going to wrap this up by telling you that Final Fantasy XIV in Walker has been so popular and has smashed server queues. It has made it nigh impossible to get into this game in a reasonable amount of time. And because of that, they have actually halted sales of this game. They pulled it off the store. They took it off the store, and uh, they're they're halting new free trials. They're 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 limiting players. It's wild. It is super super wild. And they're also giving you 14 days of free game time if you're already signed up for Inwalker. I'm not going to tell you how to do that. I'm going to send you over to fanbyte.com. We have a piece on it on how to get that working. Uh, the Link Shell team, our Final Fantasy Vertical team, has done a great job of uh, giving you all the deets on this unprecedented situation with Final Fantasy fourteen. Okay, that's a lot. That's a lot of news this week. Uh, I don't anticipate that there being a lot of news this upcoming week. Um, so next week's show might be a little bit of a snooze, but that's okay. It's good to take it easy sometimes. Um, one of my favorite games of the year is Wildermyth, and I got to sit down with uh, Nate Austin to talk about it. I want to get you over to that interview right now. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) 
Wildermyth is described as a myth-making tactical role-playing game available now on Steam. After watching Destructoid's Eric Van Allen play it on a stream, almost the entire fanbyte crew picked it up and it quickly became one of our favorites for Game of the Year 2021. Its unique approach to storytelling and combat have evoked more, wow, I haven't ever seen anything like that in a video game, comments than I can recall in recent memory. Though woefully snubbed when nominations for the Game Awards dropped, you can expect to see this game in outlet goatee lists from now until the end of the year. It is my pleasure to sit down with co-founder of Worldwalker Games and lead programmer on Wildermyth, Nate Austin. Hi, Nate. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, uh, of course. Thanks for joining me. Um, this it's, it's exciting to get to talk. Um, uh, before we get into Wildermyth, I would love to know more about Worldwalker's history and kind of, you know, why you wanted to start a game studio. Sure, sure. Yeah. So uh, we are a mostly family uh, studio. We started as a side project back when I was still working at Riot Games. Uh, and we just wanted to make little stuff. Uh, I'm a programmer. My wife's an artist and my my brother is a writer. And we all sort of sat down and started making some little games and tossed some ideas around. Um, in 2014, we got the opportunity to take the studio full-time. So we ended up moving from Los Angeles to Austin, Texas wow. in order to reduce our cost of living, just hunker down and, um, and, uh, work on it. And about, I guess, 2017, 2018, things started getting serious. It looked like we had an actual game. And so we started staffing up. We hired some writers, we hired, um, another programmer eventually, and we staffed up to get to uh, Alpha and then Early Access, HIO Beta, and then Early Access. Very cool. So that's kind of the story of the game. Yeah, and I guess you wanted to match your your uh, residence with your last name. I guess that was like kind of... That was like, a big bonus, yeah. a big yeah. bonus, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool, yeah. I mean, Austin, shift to... From LA to Austin is is a pretty big deal. Did y'all... Where, where, did, where did the family grow up? I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah, so I'm from California originally, okay, cool. um, just a little bit uh, up the coast from Los Angeles. My wife is from Ohio, and we have a little bit of family out here in Austin um, nice. as well. That's cool. Uh, that I've spent the majority of my adulthood in either Los Angeles or Austin, so yeah, I was <laughs> curious. Um, uh, what do you like about Austin? Do you like the food? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the food, the culture, it's a great city. Um, yeah. We don't really use it as much as, you know, we could because we have kids and all that. And we're <laughs> yeah, yeah, indie that. game developers, so. <laughs> yeah, I miss barbecue, but yeah. I yeah also, oh, the barbecue is so good It's here. pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I really do. Um, I moved to Fayetteville, Arkansas a year ago, which. And oh, the, yeah. And the, 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 the barbecue here is pretty good, but I'm I'm still. I mean, I'm still not a person that stands in line at a Franklin or anything like that. Sure. Because sure. I mean, come on, what what a tourist thing to do. But um, yeah, well, it's worth doing once. It is. I totally agree with you. It's worth doing once. But yeah, I mean, you, you can you can find good barbecue basically anywhere. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, let's let's dig into Wildermyth a little bit. I I mean, let's start with actually kind of more recent um goings on it left early access this year how has the reception really impacted kind of the team and how y'all have talked about just the game and also the studio and kind of future prospects gosh yeah um we're we're relieved and a little bit overwhelmed uh it's been certainly a lot of success for a very small team so that's that makes us really happy uh it's also I guess there's a feeling of pressure suddenly where we have a lot more eyeballs on us than we did before. And yeah. 
we start to care about things that maybe we didn't before, which is, you know, good and bad. But yeah. no, overall, it's been great. It's been a huge relief. Um, I don't have to go get a real job. So <laughs> yeah. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of pressure is not fun. So it's glad that the, glad that that's off the table at least. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's go, let's go way back then because you said, you know, Wilderment started as kind of a side project that y'all were kind of working on. Uh, how did the concept that we see today kind of congeal? Sure. Yeah. So we started out with the idea of fantasy XCOM. We were playing a lot mm. of the XCOM uh, enemy unknown at the time. Sure. Um, and we wanted a story that was more focused on the soldiers. We really liked getting to know the individual soldiers and telling stories about them. And XCOM doesn't really give you a lot of tools to do that. Yep. So we wanted a game where you could really just go along on getting to know these heroes. So a switch to a fantasy setting made sense for that. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we kind of uh, evolved it. A lot of things did change. We didn't start with the idea to do comics. That sort of came in as we were trying to figure out how to deliver our storytelling. And a lot of the procedural narrative stuff sort of, we kind of fell into it along the way. But the core vision of the game as like XCOM, where you care about your soldiers, that was sort of always the same. Yeah, that makes sense. I I, I would, that, your answer really intrigues me because yeah, I, I the, the XCOM uh influence is definitely there in fact we, we've talked about it a lot between you know the editors here at, at the site like that's very clearly very clearly what you said of like hey we love this aspect of this game of making your own little guys and having them run around and giving them these interesting stories but xcom doesn't follow through a ton with that right um sure. but i almost feel like you're underselling how buck wild <laughs> the narrative aspect of the game is as being this kind of like, well, we wanted to go a little bit deeper, but this is a very robust procedurally generated storytelling system that y'all have created. Um, I guess, I, I guess what I want to ask is like, when did that kind of concept takes, take, you know, shape? Like, were you always interested in that kind of procedural generation um and and how it could apply to storytelling yeah so it, it did get away from us a little bit i think the scope <laughs> st- started out a I, lot I, I, would, I would say maybe to the game's credit but yeah i get what you're saying <laughs> yeah um but um I, I think for us procedural storytelling uh yeah it's something that we wanted to do from the start because we were focused on like how can we make a game that's very replayable where you can do stuff that feels like it was unique for your playthrough like it happened Mm -hmm. to you and it was special and it didn't happen to anybody else so that that automatically puts you in in either procedurally generated or user generated space sure um and then from there you know we started you know playing around with personalities and splitting text on those and targeting on those and once we sort of had the core tech down we needed to figure out how we were going to deliver it that's when comics came in and then from there it kind of just snowballed in complexity like when we started we could not nest um we have these things called tags that Mm -hmm. switch what text is 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 rendered based on personality or gender or attraction or class or any sort of variable that we want um, when we started, you couldn't have one tag inside of another tag. Yeah. And that was a big limitation. And I fought uh, against 
you know, breaking <laughs> that for a long time. But, you know, my, my brother, the writer is like, no, we, we really need this. Like, I can't tell the stories I want to tell. So eventually we did that. And now, now it's just all over the place. We have, you know, three or four deep in some places. It's really silly. But um, yeah, no, it made the, it made the game better. Um, we were able to, because we were such a small team and we, we had such a low budget and we were kind of just cruising along, we could make those kinds of decisions um, that wouldn't really be responsible in a larger company. Yeah. I I, I don't want to get too personal, but I'm, I'm just now thinking about, you know, you, you've got your brother, the writer, you're the one that's doing the kind of the legwork on the um, on the proc gen. You have your, your wife, an artist who is pretty much uh-huh. responsible for making this come to life. Was that did y'all ever have kind of those tense arguments that that kind of lingered or do you all figure out a way to just kind of work work through it? Uh, We work through it pretty well, I'd say there's some. You know, there's some issues that sure. come up from time to time, and I think we you just got to be good to like get those out in the open and, and yeah. talk about them early. Uh, I think overall we've done a pretty good job. Yeah, no, it's just it's a really fascinating dynamic. Um, yeah, it's weird. That's great. No, it's I think and I think it shows up in to me it shows up in the game. Like I, I and mm. I I don't even know entirely what i mean by that but i think there's a warmth to the game that i I, when i found out it was basically a a family that made it i was like ah that makes sense um uh to to that point uh we we recently recorded a game of the year podcast it'll air later this week we did talk about wildermyth um brand editor nikki grayson actually said wildermyth is the only game that they can recall that evokes a good bedtime storyteller Um, when, and and I think what we meant by that is, you know, we were talking about a character that, that someone had in their game where, uh, they eventually became mostly crow, but also partially a vine person. Um, (laughs) and, and like, there's, there's a concept in improv called yes. And right. And like, I think, and I think like, I have been impressed with at every turn when things could have gotten really silly in this game, it leans into it instead of kind of stares at it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Did, did y'all ever get self-conscious about some of those more um, bizarre story beats that were getting into the game or, or was this all kind of like, yeah, you know, let's gun it. Let's just go for it. Um. So I think that's actually a really a strength of the medium with procedural generation is that sure. you can write the line straight and then a goofy character can like show up in that role and you didn't intend for that to happen. And the <laughs> game just, the game just plays it straight because the game doesn't know any other way to play sure. it. Yeah. Um, so like, that's actually, I think a real strength of the medium is that when you're writing, you're writing for every character and you want to, you know, you want to consider the various possibilities and we want to like identify those moments that really need to be acknowledged Sure. and acknowledge them. But um because the sort of proc gen nature of it kind of locks us into a certain tone and voice and, um, and we're careful not to break that at least Mm -hmm. on purpose. Like I think that's pretty important. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, I also think this game does a better job than, than most others, maybe, maybe ever at simulating an active and creative dungeon master um, with kind of a tabletop game. What's it? I, 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 if I recall, I think y'all are into tabletop stuff. Oh, yeah. What, what makes a good DM to you? Gosh. Um, 
So to me, a good DM is is figuring out what the party is interested in and making sure that that is um that's the meat of the adventure right like there should be obstacles and there should be puzzles and mystery and intrigue but ultimately like the dm has to know the party and what they want in order to like surface the content that is going to be the most compelling for them yeah it makes sense um in testing uh, did y'all go through like a long testing process with um, yeah okay uh, how how did that go how, how how many how many iterations of things did y'all have to go through to find the right kind of balance of oh so many so mm-hmm. um there was a lot of stuff basically once we once we had it in a playable state we started showing it to people just like little tiny little place like i went to a game a local game store and set up a little booth there and we went to you know some conventions and showed it to people and um we worked on combat clarity for like two or three years it was just every time we showed the game to people they were like oh, i don't know what it does when i click or like i uh, i don't understand what the enemy is going to do here sure um and it was just like every single time we just kept getting that feedback and so we kept fixing it and fixing it and fixing it and fixing it and we did everything we could until finally we we took it i like i think it was like a pack south or something and um we stopped getting that feedback and we started getting other feedback and that's when we knew we had like finally resolved the combat clarity problem um so it was a very iterative process we actually started with a completely different overland map and we had to swap that out because it wasn't fun so there was a lot of that going on throughout <laughs> development and because we had such a long timeline i think that helped us to identify issues and then actually make positive decisions about them. I think if we had been on a shorter timeline, we maybe would have skipped some of that work. Yeah. Um, did, did you have a moment where you were like, aha, okay, I think this is actually going to work uh, this, the, the, the entire game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like for me, it's, there's not like one moment that stands sure. out in my head, but, but it's definitely like there's those times when, um, you know what? No, for me, the moment was aging when we added aging in ah, and you could like take a slider and like see your character get old. And that yeah. started to happen in the game. Um, that was, that was a big change for me. That was like, wow, this is special. It feels really good. Yeah. Um, and to that point, we, we can get into kind of legacy systems, um, you know, with, with the game of how characters can age and they can kind of be placed into uh, a pantheon, right. Of, of kind of legends in this space. Um, when did that concept kind of take shape and, um, and, and was that a tough sell to the rest of the team or do you feel like that's a fundamental, um, a fundamental aspect of the game itself. So yeah, it was fairly fundamental. And the reason is that we, we were thinking a lot about things that make you stop caring and Mm -hmm. things that make you rage quit and walk away. And I think, I think on the team, we're all pretty sensitive souls. I'll just go ahead and say, (laughs) so, um, so there's, you know, like when your favorite hero, when your favorite soldier dies in XCOM, it feels really bad. Yeah. Not just because they died, but then like the rest of the team starts panicking and it's just this horrible, it just makes you feel awful and you want to reload. Um, so we felt that death and injuries were really important in terms of making powerful stories, but we didn't want 
the player to quit when they happened. And so we, we threw every idea that we could think of at encouraging you to keep playing. So we have mortal choices. We have legacy mechanics. We have all this stuff um, that encourages you to play through uh, those powerful moments because we think they make great stories. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, in terms of the combat, which which we've touched on a little bit, but I want to get into a little bit deeper, the, the mystic class really shakes up your typical magic user by focusing on interfusions with the environment rather than yeah. conjurations. So yeah. was that always the plan with magic in Wildermyth? No. So, well, <laughs> I, I'll say we did we did want to shake it up a bit. I'm a fan of, you know, in, just interesting magic systems, magic systems sure. that don't just take parts off the shelf, magic yeah. systems. That, magic like, missile. Work. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that stuff's fun in D&D and D&D &D justifies it well. But um, yeah. but yeah, like just not doing what everyone does. So uh, we were looking for something and. With Interfusion, the, the specific game design problem that it solves for us is that we want combat maps to feel and play very differently every time. Mm -hmm. And so with Interfusion, it makes the scenery matter and makes the type of scenery and the exact location of the scenery relative to the monsters matter a lot. And that way, when we procedurally place you know, fires and scenery on these maps, it has a huge impact on how the map plays. So um, because it solved that specific problem and because it was sort of unique and fun from a lore perspective um, that we kind of fell into it, but we were definitely just looking for something. Yeah, yeah. I, to me, it kind of accomplishes um what i would imagine an avatar the last airbender kind of strategic game to to be like which i i think is yeah. uh which i think is fun right i mean it's not something that mystics don't feel overpowered necessarily but they do feel so in tune with the environment around you that if you can start to read uh a, a combat map really well then mystics begin to get extremely powerful and interesting um, yeah which is which is fun. That's a lot of fun um to to encounter in this game. The other two classes like what did you what did you want to do to shake up kind of the ranged and and obviously the warrior classes? Yeah, so with the other classes we're we're and really with all the classes we're aiming to cover the major fantasy archetypes of sure. characters that people want to build. So you have your 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 burly guy and your <laughs> you know your sneaky shooty guy and your your magic guy kind of thing right those are the three sort of main categories of heroes we didn't want healing magic because it destroys drama so we cut the cleric or you know cleric priest healer mm, okay. class um but we wanted to be able to cover most of the fantasy archetypes with as few rigs as possible because rigs you know the the drawing of the character is one of the most expensive things because yeah. all of the armors and and add-ons and assets have to be drawn separately for each rig and with all their layers and swappable limbs so rigs are extremely expensive so we wanted to limit the number of those but cover as many archetypes as possible so basically the class design is mostly just aiming to do that mm -hmm. um and then the ability design you know again it works especially like walling and flanking work to make position extremely important so that you care where you're standing in terms of uh art it, let's talk about art for a second i know that's sure. that's not your realm but uh um 
you know, that paper doll aesthetic, uh, which is, I, I think, um, it very much vibes with the game if you begin to play it and understand kind of like the entire, uh, you know, just the the entire flow of the game. I, I It's hard to imagine this game not having that aesthetic. Um, yeah. Was that uh, like a from the ground up uh, uh, design or did that art style kind of evolve over time? Yeah, so... It, it evolved a little. We we messed around with different possible styles. But um, yeah, my wife Annie is a 2D uh, artist illustrator. And like that's her natural style is really close to Wildermyth. And so it felt like a good fit to do something that she could produce very quickly and efficiently and reliably. Um, so we, we kind of just, we started from there. And then developing the rig is something that we iterated on a little bit. We tried stuff that was a bit more stylized or a bit more cartoony or a bit more serious. And we ended up kind of going with these a little bit bobblehead, a little bit goofy, but charming kind of guys as yeah. like hitting the tone the best. Were the, were the rigs of the character models, were they designed to have that kind of narrative um, quality of like, Hey, this person can suddenly become a half crow person. Were, were those designed to be kind of modular? Is that how that worked? Yeah, yeah. So that that all has to be sort of built into yeah. the art from the ground up, which uh, was a lot of work. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I bet. Did you ever? Uh, did you ever like hand her something that was like, okay, I know we were we're we're done, but now I need actually, um, we need like a praying mantis head and limbs, and I'm so sorry <laughs> that we have to do that. Um, uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> okay. Um, it's much more of a conversation of okay. like, well. What do you think? You know, it's like praying mantises are cool. But anyway, she's she's a creature designer first, so she's much more likely to bring that to the team than the oh, other perfect. way around. Okay, that's good. That's good. Um, I so early access. Uh, y'all were on early access for well, a year and a half ish. Yeah. Okay. How how was that process, and and how did that change the the game itself? It was for us. It was completely invaluable. Um, yeah. We had a great community on Discord and, uh, you know, also on the Steam forums. But um, just getting getting all of that feedback, we we just spent, you know, the whole time just responding to what players wanted and just trying to figure out how to fix the underlying issues. Um, and we felt like it made the game so much better. Yeah. That's that's cool to hear. Um, now that it's live and we've got modding workshop stuff, how has the workshop stuff impacted your review of the game and, and gotten you thinking about what's next? Yeah, so we're we love it. I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of cool stuff. I think for us, yeah, like people ask for all sorts of different things, and it's hard to know what what we should take on for DLC and what we should leave to modders is sure. sort of a question that we've been working through. Um, but it's, it's really great to have modders out there who have added all of these, like say elf ears, like elves are <laughs> not ever going to be in the core game, but we love, love that there's a mod where you can just make your heroes look like elves. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's been really great to be able to, to like help us draw a line around what's our responsibility and what's not our responsibility. Uh, and then the other thing is, is we want to enable people to tell stories. So we've done a lot of work on making the tools accessible, which has been sort of a mixed bag. It turns out they're just kind of complicated and hard to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
we haven't had as big of an uptake there as we would have loved, but you know, um, the tools are there for anybody who wants to tell a story. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably a matter of time, right? You'll probably get a core group. I mean, I, I, I play, I play a game called fire pro wrestling world, which is like, they, they recently released the the tools to basically do animation rigging to create your own moves and stuff, which is like, that's cool, which is amazingly cool. Except that the actual thing is incredibly complicated. Right. And kind of time consuming, but the people who have latched onto it have created insane stuff, like just amazingly cool stuff. And I have to imagine that like, you know, eventually the the folks will pick up the tools and, and really, really run with yeah. them even if they're complicated so that's cool and we definitely have some like we have some event packs like sure. for you know yeah. romance events and different stuff which is awesome yeah i mean my my very first playthrough i I met a mermaid in a forest and we got married <laughs> within about an hour and i was like wow this game rules um that's, <laughs> that's wild um so yeah that's that's very cool has the team thought about i mean this is probably an obnoxious question but has the team thought about what's next is it more wildermyth is it something else or are y'all just kind of enjoying what's going on right now yeah uh we're thinking about it we're definitely we have some more support and um content to do for wildermyth for sure cool uh and you know hopefully some dlc uh and then after that we are starting to to look beyond i don't have anything specific um yeah but yeah we're 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 thinking we're thinking past it um oh go ahead no that's it there there will be a game too we think we're pretty sure okay all right don't know what it will be there will be a game too put it in bold letters um uh, I would be uh, criticized roundly by my uh, uh, my fellow editors if I didn't ask. Uh, are there plans to bring this to console and specifically Nintendo Switch, which has been asked a lot around the office? Yes, it is underway, but it will take a long time. We're yeah. we're just saying around a year, okay? Um, because the original game was written in Java, which is ah. my mistake. Um, so the, yeah, <laughs> listen, the... you live, you learn. I learned how to be a real programmer is the upside. Uh, so it was valuable to me, but um, I would not recommend it. <laughs> That's yeah, very so cool. So it's underway though. And it's, yeah, we, we would love to be on Switch. We think it would be a great, great fit. Yeah. I mean, now that the Steam Deck has been delayed yeah. until question mark, question mark, question mark, I am kind of like, okay, when am I going to be able to take this game on the go? So cool. Well. I won't hold you to that year, but uh, <laughs> Thank uh, you. that's good to know it's underway. Um, well, thanks, Nate, for for joining us. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, I I think uh, Wildermyth is one of those kind of quiet game changers uh, that, that came out this year in a year that was actually bizarrely packed with like very cool indie games. Um, and I, I don't know. I think it I think it takes it takes its seat next to Inscription and uh and 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 beast breaker and other games that i thought were really special this year so really really good job to the team and and uh yeah we're a big fan of this awesome game. thank you so much of course of course um and yeah you can grab older myth right now it's available on steam and if you're interested in uh more conversations about wilder myth you will like our game of the year coverage which is going to come out uh later this week so stay tuned for that uh thanks again all right thank you very much
Vodio Games is an independent game studio specializing in what they call cozy, crunchy games. Games that are charming and intimate while managing to be devilishly rich in systems interactions. The studio was started this year by Asher Vollmer, creator of Threes, Fanbyte's number nine game of the last decade. In September, Vodio released Beast Breaker, one of Fanbyte's sleepers for Game of the Year 2021. This week, the workers at Vodio made history by forming the first officially recognized video game labor union in North America. It's my pleasure to welcome two members of the newly formed Vodio Workers United to the show, producer Miriam LaChapelle and lead artist Jimma Salome. Hello. Hi. Ew. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for taking time out of what has to be a busy week to uh, chat with me. Thank you for oh, inviting us. I have yeah. Fridays off this week. So. Well, there you go. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your break to talk to me. Ooh. That's even worse. I can't believe yeah, I, I can't believe I. You're interrupting very important uh, tea making and book reading time. Yeah. I, I value that much more than work. You have no idea. Um, but that's amazing. I, first, before we get into kind of the, the nitty gritty of the union, union stuff, I just want to know, how has this week been? What's the uh, response been like? Wow. Uh, overwhelmingly positive. Uh, yeah. it it's just amazing. Like I spent all Wednesday glued to my screen and just refreshing everything. Um, and Same. it's been Same. yeah, it's been a very very positive uh, response. Um, very nice. Yeah, <laughs> people are. Yeah, kind. I mean. <laughs> It's 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 been amazing. Obviously, Nicole Carpenter had that that really nice piece over on Polygon. You can go read that for a lot of details, but we'll get to some of that here in this conversation as well. Um, Marty Walsh, the U.S. Secretary of Labor, tweeted about Vodio. I did not have that on my bingo card this week. We got the the clutch Secretary of Labor tweet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like I almost wanted to be like, "Hey, dude, like you and you and Joe have like your own kind of issues to worry about here," but like, yeah, this is pretty. Wild. That no, it's okay. We've this. got the eye of eye of Sauron on us. It's it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. I'm vibing. Um, as a yeah, as a that's... Canadian, I had no idea who that person is. And <laughs> I saw everyone freaking out. And I was like, who? To be honest, I didn't know who he was either. <laughs> I, I, I I was about to say that's your Jimmy, you're exactly right. I was like, so it was only until I read like two or three tweets down, it's like, oh, that's the US Secretary of Labor. I was like, Oh, no shit. Oh, that's who that is. All right. So it's the eye of Sauron is on me, but I'm a hobbit. And so I don't know about that whole business. So. <laughs> uh, that's really funny. Um, so I guess I would start by just asking, like, why start a labor union at Vodio? I mean, Asher seems like a good guy. Why do you need to unionize? Asher is a good guy. Uh, <laughs> but like, I don't. Everyone needs a voice. Uh, mm -hmm. and a way to like have a sit at a table and uh, be able to um, yeah make sure that our working conditions are, are, are right and uh, fair for everyone and uh, yeah Vodeo was already based on really good values um, started as like a pro worker studio from from its inception and uh but yeah, we kind of like just starting to talk with each other and about our experience at Vodeo. And we are entirely remote, but we're a very small, mm. tight-knit studio. Um, and at some point, we just start, started talking about the values that are already in place and that we cherish and how we want to keep them 
for the long run and uh, seeing other people um, at other workplace uh, start building a path for unions uh, in both techs and gaming, like um, Voltage Organized Workers or uh, United Paizo Workers. It was kind of like a no-brainer that if mm. we want to make sure that we keep these values, um, that we should unionize. <laughs> um, so yeah, we reached out to CWA to get more guidance and we form Vodeo Workers United. That's amazing. Uh, so yeah, you mentioned working with the Communications Workers of America. They have an offshoot called Code, which is basically a campaign to organize digital workers. What was the process uh, like working with them? It was very good. Uh, the folks over there are super knowledgeable and very responsive. Uh, they have a lot of um, organizer trainings available, uh, documentation and resources uh, to help learn more about union in general and how, how to start. Um, when we reached out to them, they helped us write our uh, card check and neutrality agreement um, because... We kind of followed an unconventional route to certification because we were really committed to every worker uh, winning a voice on the job at Vodeo. Um, like I mentioned previously, our, our studio is entirely remote with workers spread all over the U.S. and Canada. And more than half of our bargaining unit consists of contractors. And it was just very important for us that both contractors and employees could have um, yeah, a sit at the table. So being being part of the of the unit. Sure. And so you mentioned contracted staff like, you know, you're you're not you're not yet in the negotiation process. You've been recognized. I want to ask a couple of questions about that in a second. But what what are some things that you're hoping to gain for contractor staff? Because this is, I think, a very overlooked part of the video games unionization uh, conversations, because there are overwhelmingly a ton of contractors in this space. Like you said, we are entering negotiations soon. So uh, so as of now, we've only one recognition. Um, it's only after negotiation that we'll be able to say what benefits the union have uh, brought us. Um, but like for now, for example, we know that we have a four-day work week. Um, mm. And it's something that all of us is, uh, it's very important for us to keep. And that will for sure go into our um contract negotiation to lock it in place. Um, but yeah, happy to come back to talk more about our collective bargaining sure. <laughs> went and uh, what benefit the union brought us once the process is done. Yeah. I would love to do that. Um, and, and to be clear, like just having contract workers in the bargaining unit is in the like acknowledged bargaining unit is like a, a pretty big win. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. One part of the story that I think might be, I don't know, confusing for folks that don't follow kind of labor union organization, um, Vodio's union was voluntarily recognized. Um, can you explain kind of what that means and also what the alternative is in some cases? I mentioned previously we had uh, – we wrote a card check and neutrality agreement uh, that we sent to Asher. Uh, to yeah, voluntarily recognize our unit um, because I I'm not the there's more well versed people in our unit <laughs> that could have answered <laughs> this question way better than I am. But um, 
I believe if we would not have had the uh, voluntary recognition from management, um, we would have, uh, sorry, needed to go to um, the National Labor uh, Organization to kind of like go with a vote. But yeah. if I'm correct, I believe it's only the employees that can uh, be part of that vote. And like, yeah, most of our our, our staff at Vodeo are contractors. So yes. uh, it would have um, not have included them. Yeah, it's <laughs> essentially a much more complicated process. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which, which I think... Um, yeah, when you see voluntary recognition, it uh, it it definitely speeds up this process, and yes, adds contractors to the agreement, which is great. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think just before I ask my next question, I don't think it's fair to ask Vodio Workers United to solve the industry's problems. Okay, so I want to remove that pressure from this conversation. But I am curious from the outside looking in as part of the media. You know, what did you learn in this process that you know you might pass to workers at Activision Blizzard, Ubisoft, or larger studios that want to unionize? For worker groups that are already already in the process of organization, I like <laughs> I feel like I don't need to tell them their business. <laughs> like, sure, of course. Uh, like you know, they they know what they need, and you know they're they're working to get that. Um, and I wish them all the best. Um, I think for people who are probably like hearing this and all this union talk is like new to their ears, you're, or maybe you don't really like understand the point of unions. You you've only heard bad things about them. I would really, really recommend um, Code CWA's site. Uh, I think it's code-cwa.org. I, I believe that's that. correct. Yeah. I was I was <laughs> I was there yesterday. I think that's it. I'm um, gonna check real quick. But yeah, they uh, they have a list yeah. of resources for for study. They've got videos you can watch, podcast episodes. Um, they've like they've got a book reading list on like various workers' rights topics. I I really recommend people like uh, check that out and like you know you have the power to like educate yourself. So like absolutely like learn like there's history there's there's a deep union history in the united states um that you can educate yourself on that i promise you you didn't learn all of it in school um <laughs> uh like i i kind of learned about the triangle shirtwaist fire and that was that was it um <laughs> and uh like yeah it's it's uh it's it's good to educate yourself code CWA also uh, runs um, training classes uh, if you're more interested in learning what organizers do directly. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's very good. I, f- I found their resources very uh, helpful and informative because um, this was a I've never unionized any other workplace. I've been at. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was like a huge learning process for uh, myself personally and like the entire company, the entire the the entire team so um for sure yeah and just uh you know you don't have to go it alone and just sort of figure this stuff out like just on your own it's there's there's lots of there's lots of people ready to help you and there's lots of resources already already out there yeah, yeah that if- that is code cw c-o-d-e dash c-w-a.org you were exactly yeah, right hyphen, yeah yeah um oh and also like you know I, we, we touched on other companies organizing, like 
you know, reach out to them. <laughs> right. You know, if you're like working at your company and like it, and you're just like, I, I want to learn more about this. Like there's people organizing right now that you can talk to. <laughs> um, and they're, they're great resources as well. Like uh, I, I personally think it's like really useful to just like, I don't understand this. I need to talk to a person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I don't so, think anybody knows how to do this until they kind of do it, right? Um, yeah, the yeah. the path kind of reveals itself as you walk it. So, uh, yeah, and every every yeah. workplace is different and has their different issues and and things mm-hmm. that workers want to uh, bring on a table uh, to management. So, yeah, every no workplace can like there's no like clear like A B C steps that you can follow. Um, and it, it's yeah, all different. There's no one size fits all. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, thank yeah. you. Uh, that makes sense. Um, I guess uh, you know, I, 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 you mentioned that this was kind of an organic process. You know, talking to mm. each other about it. Did you start these conversations uh, in in like with voice? Did you start them in Slack? I'm a little bit curious about like. Was were those first conversations awkward or were they exciting? I'm I'm kind of curious about how that developed. Um, it was outside. I would say outside of like some conversations started in Slack of like DMs and stuff. Uh, sure. Mostly like talking about like yeah, our own experiences and like how uh like I don't know, four day work week is super great um, yeah. and we want to keep it. <laughs> um, but. Uh, obviously we kind of, the more people we talk to, we kind of, uh, swap places. We went to, uh, discord. So it was outside of the work slack. Um, would you, would you recommend that to folks generally to do that? I think I would. Like I've been reading things about how management, if they pay a bunch of money, like, the enterprise thing, like they can read your DMs and stuff. I, I'm not definitely. They definitely can. It yeah, is not like so... it's not a thing that they can necessarily see in real time. But yes, that's definitely true. Yeah. So yeah, like having a place where everyone can feel safe to have like hard truth conversation is very important. Um, but yeah, we had like meetings on Zoom with uh, CWA folks when they were uh, helping us like figure it out our next steps and like uh helping us writing our 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 agreements uh and uh yeah but it was mainly very like it was an exciting process and everyone was uh in our unit uh were really great and willing to learn um and yeah do love working with all of those folks at Wileo so much <laughs> everybody rules <laughs> True. That's great. That's a that's a wonderful thing to have. Yeah. Um. How do y'all enjoy the four day work week? What's that like? I would love to know what that's like for for my own personal. Oh, it's reasons. fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. I like Miriam. Do you want me to? <laughs> yes. Go for it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I well, like I'm coming to uh Vodio from like probably like I didn't work in games. I'd done like a little. A little bit of contract work like uh mm-hmm. just spotty but i was primarily like a freelancer working in comics and um it's very like 
it's very like the hustle is real. <laughs> like <laughs> you're basically, if you have a free moment and you don't have anything else to do, you are working. And um, I, I mean, I have worked uh, other like game contracts years ago where it was like, you're in here the entire, you're in, you're, you're in here the entire week. And, you know, we're not making you take overtime, but you know, it's just going to look good. And it's just like, uh, like it's, uh, comparing my, my stress levels, like now to like when they were working those other jobs, like it's far lower. Like, you know, I'm like healthier. <laughs> like I have more time for an actual human social life, which is like, wow, what is that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was very deeply embedded in that, in that kind of hustle grind culture. Sure. And, uh, being able to like slow down um and still get things done like yeah all of my work is getting done <laughs> like yeah, uh, yeah and you like, know it's not this like hey we're slacking off it's it's not that at all yeah and like a, a producer point of view like it's totally manageable to like build up expectation and task around a four-day work week like people that says like no there's too much work to be done like not having a full eight hour uh, won't 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 be working for us or something like you. Right. You can manage to have a 40 work week. Of course, there's like sometimes where like, I don't know. Sometimes I wish I would have a little bit more hours in the week to do things, but like I can move stuff around and like have my priorities sorted better and just focus on what's very important to do in the moment. Um, so yeah, yeah it, it just works. Like, <laughs> And it's nice to have three day weekend where you have like your Saturday when you can, you think a little bit about work still, but you're, you're not at the same time. And then you don't have the Sunday stress of being like, oh no, I'm starting work tomorrow. Oh, uh, wow. You can just chill out. <laughs> God, I would, I would love I would love to know what it's like to not have like a scary Sunday. Usually by about four PM I'm like, oh boy. Oh god. It's a good vibe. It's a yeah. good vibe. Yeah. Recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that sounds that sounds great. I mean, I have to imagine I, one of the issues that I have and now now we're really going off the rails, but it's fine. I love going <laughs> off the rails. But it's like I I, I think, you know, in media we feel like whether we're right or wrong, and I've struggled with this conversation a lot in media, we kind of always feel like, okay, well, something could drop in any moment, you know, and like we have to be on top of it. But it's also that kind of mentality has also trained us to be really bad at taking time off when we say we will. Yeah. So when you instituted the four day work week, first of all, was that like Vodio from day one or was that something y'all worked on, before, you know, over time? Uh, it was from day one. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it was from day one. Okay, cool. Yeah. I yeah, I I can like I was I was one of the the first people hired for literally anything. Uh, like prior <laughs> to the studio existing, like right. I think I was the first person Asher paid for anything. Nice. Um, and yeah, it was very like the the studio's values from the start were like we have to respect people's time outside of work. You know, yeah. if the job gets done, we don't care how fast it gets done. Like, okay. Like I don't have to, it's, it's not an issue if, if like, okay, 
I'm only here for two hours. Bye. <laughs> like I got it done. Bye. Like yeah. that's not like, uh, yeah, it was, it was very from the start. It, it's, it was, you know, it was about people first. It was like, you know, yeah. pro worker first and, you know, going back to the, all the unionization stuff, that's, it's, it felt like a really natural log, logical progression, um, sure. for us to unionize it. Cause it was like these, these values were here from the start. Um, yeah. Um, I, and I guess like, do, do y'all ever have issues with people wanting to dip in on Friday or, or on days off to do stuff or are you pretty disciplined about kind of enforcing that stuff? No, we're very I'm, disciplined. I'm sometimes a habitual overworker. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, say That's why I ask. Like, I think it's one of those things where I, it's so much a do as I say, not as I do kind of thing for, for, for me, because I will often find myself dipping into extra hours or weekends or whatever. But whenever I see anyone else doing this, it drives me nuts because I'm just like, you have to refresh. You have to take time off. And I never follow that advice myself. But like, yeah, I'm I, I'm guilty of that, too. Yeah, a, Miriam has roast, roasted me a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, well, you, like we deserve it. You, Gemma, you deserved it. You deserve being roasted yep. for dipping into your time off. Everyone uh, that I deserve roasted, to be roasted for roasted. doing the same thing. Golden we also brown. have we also have a minute like we have unlimited PTO, but we also have cool. a minimum of days that people have to take off. Ah. And that's both that's why we're both off today. It's because we haven't taken all of our days during the yeah. year. And at some point I was just poking people every week of being like, you have four days left. I'm going to kick yeah. you out. <laughs> like, <laughs> If you don't take them, I just you're just not going to be able to be allowed to be at work, which is beyond Slack because we're all remote. But um, yep. yeah, it's. Yeah, uh, we also have you, a, a water bottle. Em, uh, emote on 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 slack oh. so like if, if someone is not supposed to work and they are on slack answering things we just like shoot them away with the water bottle <laughs> like you're squirting water at them to leave basically yep. that's yep. great the team that's used really it on funny. me today because i answered a message and they were just like shoot oh. no <laughs> uh it, it, producer paul just put ours in in the discord chat which is the kirby holding the knife outside <laughs> That's ours. When someone when someone shows up on their day off, like we have a comp day system. Like we we don't we don't have a union. We could. I couldn't be involved in those discussions, but like we could have one. Um and and like I feel like this would be one of those benefits because I feel I feel like we need to codify these things when someone jumps on like we have comp days. So if we have one of those media days I was just talking about where um uh, you know, news drops at 9 p.m. and some people feel like they need to get on and write a piece or whatever. We always mm-hmm. say comp day. So, like, that means not counted against PTO, not counted against anything like that. It's just, like, you worked more than you needed to today, so you need to take time off of an equal or greater measure at some point in the future, and you could basically choose. But so many people will take a comp day and then they'll just be like, oh, anyway, they're on Slack talking. We're just like, you have to get out of here, Kirby with a butcher <laughs> knife. You have to get out of here. Um, we have to add that one in our Slack term. It's a good yeah, one. Good. Whenever I see it, I'm like, oh man, I really I pissed someone off bad. Uh oh, <laughs> I gotta go. I think it's also I think it's also like it's it like that happens because the grind culture is so pervasive, right? That like you know I I know like from going into Vodio, like I almost 
didn't know how to take time off. <laughs> I know. You know. I think like, it's I a, a, I, that sounds so silly yeah. in a way, but I think you're right. Yeah, well, it's like it's like, oh wow, I have nothing to do today. If I even like poke my head into the work slack and they see that I'm online, like <laughs> they're gonna roast me. <laughs> like, like what do I do now? <laughs> like, are, are there chores? Should I make my bed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I don't, I don't know. It's so funny. Like, you know, on Saturdays and Sundays, I'm panicking about like the two hampers of laundry I need to do and all this stuff, and I'm like what if I actually was more disciplined about taking time during the week to do these things so I don't have to do it all on my days off? I I just, there's so much time management stuff that I do think codifying like working rules would help with. And so when I, you know, I've, this is really from an executive standpoint, right? Like I, I don't know how Asher runs uh, the company, but like, you know, I, from my standpoint at the top, you know, I, um, you know, I could codify things in a way, but if I leave or HR decides that they want to get a wild hair and say, okay, now not only do we have a five-day work week, we have a six-day work week, they could pretty much do that with impunity, right? So it's like that. that is kind of one of those things about like this is why codifying and unionizing can help prevent things like that from happening or changes to a structure that really makes sense for that team. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, like yeah. we like going into the unionization history, like we have the eight hour work day because right. unions fought for that. Like sure. we have a five day work week instead of a seven day work week. Yes. Yeah, instead of a question mark work week. Um, yeah. We're not working alongside 12 year olds because right. unions fought for that. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it's <laughs> going into like why we need this. <laughs> like, yeah. hey. Um totally makes sense. Makes total <laughs> sense. Um we a weird bit of uh, kind of breaking news, I guess, uh for the past couple days. This actually came out late on the 15th. Uh the Writers uh Guild of America West disbanded their video game writers caucus this week. Mm-hmm. Which I think is so, I would say, very odd timing because I feel like, I feel like industry sentiment, at least since August, um, when a lot of the Activision Blizzard stuff first blew up, and then also, of course, Vodio making history, which is wild. Y'all always be in the the history books for that. That's really cool, by the way. Games making it happen. It's (laughs) very cool. Um, I find that timing so odd and their reasoning says this, the caucus is ending because although it highlighted the importance of the writer in video games, it is not proven to be an effective vehicle for organizing. And that was Mm. the reason. Um, so I guess I would just say, Hey, that speaks to how, uh, organizing and using the tools available to folks like CWA and code would be really useful to lean on because they're, uh, some big unions are kind of stepping back from video game stuff, which I think is very odd. I don't know. I really appreciate y'all taking the time, especially on your day off, of to talk to me about this stuff. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Do y'all want to plug Beast Breaker or anything? Yeah. That's the best game ever. Play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know in your intro. You said it was on your... Uh, game of it's the a, Year? It's a sleeper. Yeah, we're talking about it. We, we don't have like an official like like uh uh site-wide list we're doing like individual lists this year and mm-hmm. then kind of like highlighting some of the ones that show up a lot but beast breaker shown up in, in a few of What's them the yeah quote the the sleeper must wake um. the sleeper must wake yeah 
Um, no, I mean, I, I, um, I was, I was kind of surprised by it when it came out. Um, cause I usually, I feel like I usually have my finger on the pulse of stuff that Asher does. Um, <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, it's an Asher joint. Holy smokes. And then, uh, that mouse is the cutest thing in the world. So that's Gemma's work. We, yeah. I know. I figured that out. What this the game morning. is. <laughs> We're just talking about the game existing and being the best game ever. Um, <laughs> It's it's like if anybody's played uh, Peggle or Brick Breaker, it's uh, you're ba- you're breaking bricks, except you're also a little mouse, and the bricks are a monster. It's a giant monster, and you're fighting it with a sword, and it's an RPG. <laughs> so, uh, what's what's our like pitch on our site? I don't know. Uh, well, I can I can I can say it. So, uh, Beast Breaker is a turn based mouse bouncing RPG. Uh, you play as a tiny warrior who defends uh, innocence from giant mosaic beasts that threatens to destroy everything. Um, so yeah, we have <laughs> we have like pinball physics uh, and tactical decision making uh, because turn base um, and resource management. Um, so yeah, you it's pick, really cool. You pick a weapon, you pick your companion, and you do some. Uh, tracking to learn about the beast and then you fight it and you hope you don't die well no you don't die you get knocked <laughs> off no one okay. no one dies no one's there's no death okay, no, no, no death, death. all no. right but it, it's uh it's a cool game i think folks should check it out and especially hey if you want to support a union shop get hey. a beast breaker hello let's let's do it um Jimma, Miriam, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Um, and uh, I don't know, uh, when after negotiations, uh, why don't you come back and we'll talk about it yeah, again. Yeah, we'll love to. Thank you for having us. Yeah, of course. Of course. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks again to the Vodio folks for stopping by and hanging out. I, I wanted to pass along some information about Beast Breaker uh, that they mentioned to me off call uh, that I promised I would tell you all because I think you'll be interested in it. If you do want to play this game, you haven't played Beast Breaker yet. It's available on PC in the Epic Game Store and also on Switch, and it is going to be 50% off. That is 5-0% off starting on December 20th uh, until January 6th on those two platforms. So from December 20th to January 6th, you can get Beast Breaker for 50% off on Epic Game Store and Nintendo Switch. That's a really big deal. It's a really cool game if you haven't checked it out. I feel like it's kind of under the radar of those big indies that we mentioned this year, like Wilder Myth and Inscription and um, uh, Death's Door even. You know, those kind of smaller projects have, have been a little louder. But I think Beast Breaker is pretty darn good, and you should check it out. I think Merritt really likes that game um, after you know, we've talked about it a bit. Uh, but yeah. They wanted me to pass that along. I told them I would because it's a good game and I think you should check it out. And it's a union shop. Come on. Um, let's talk about what else is coming out this week. We missed some stuff last week because, uh, like I mentioned, we missed. So I'll just go over some game releases from last week and also the rest of this week because it's really slow this week. Uh, Among Us is coming and has already come, excuse me, to PS5, PS4, Xbox Series X and S and Xbox One. That was out on December 14th. Clockwork Aquario, also uh, PS4 and Switch is out now. Fire Girl Hack and Splash Rescue on on PC Greek Memories of Azure 
is already out for PS4 and Xbox One. Uh, the uh, Fates Worn DLC for Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning uh, hit PC, PS4, and Xbox One this past week. One Hand Clapping hit PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and Stadia this past week. Uh, the uh, Dr. Dre uh, GTA Online uh, expansion thing, the contract came to PC, PS4, and Xbox Series X and S. That was December 15th. Uh, Rogue Invader is already out on PC. Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade that came out last week uh, for PC. If you haven't played Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake already uh, and you have a PC, you should definitely check it out. It goes up to, I think, 120 frames per second. Uh, it's beautiful. looks great. It's probably the best way to play it if you've got a high-end PC. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach. Wow, that kind of uh, really sunk under the radar after all of that dude's stuff. Uh, PC, PS5, and PS4 that came out last week. The Gunk also came out for PC, Xbox Series X and S, and Xbox One uh, last week. Trash Sailors came to PC. We might have some coverage of that on the site soon. I can't remember, uh, but I do remember seeing that someone was playing that. Uh, Trophy uh, came out on uh, Xbox One last week. And let's talk about this week. Uh, Lacuna, PS4 and Xbox One out on December 21st. Scarf for PC and Stadia out on December 23rd. And I'll go ahead and tell you, Lacuna is also coming to Switch on December 28th. So that's not this coming week, but it'll be next week. Um, and yeah, that's a slow week. It hates Christmas. Stuff doesn't come out. People are on holidays. Uh, but Xbox Game Pass... We got like a lot of information about Xbox Game Pass over the uh, over last weekend uh, for the TGAs. There's some stuff we didn't hit last week, so I want to go through what's coming, what's leaving, and some extras. Uh, among us is Cloud uh, is on the cloud for uh, uh, Xbox Series X and S, PC, all that good stuff. Uh, it's there on December fifteenth already. Uh, you can play with four to fifteen players online. Uh, and um, uh, you know, you know, among us, uh, why am I trying to explain among us? You know, among us, uh, Ben 10 power trip is also on Xbox game pass broken age. A really cool game from the folks at double fine is out on game pass. Now, uh, firewatch is an excellent one. That's out on game pass. Uh, and the gunk, which we just talked about is out on game pass available day one. That's a pretty big deal. So if you want to check out the gunk, you can do it on Game Pass. Uh, Lake is also out on Game Pass. Uh, I think Natalie Flores really liked that game. Uh, Mortal Kombat 11, that's cloud console and PC, uh, that's out on Game Pass right now. If you haven't picked this one up yet, uh, it's pretty good. I... I don't know if it's my favorite Mortal Kombat, but it's close. Uh, and it's uh, it's deep. It's The story mode's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a Paw Patrol game, Mighty Pup Save Adventure Bay. That's out now. So if you have kids, Christmas Day, you don't know what to play. All you did was buy yourself big M-rated games, horror games, shooters, and you have kids and are like, I want to play Paw Patrol. And you're like, Oh, God, oh, God, is there a Paw Patrol game on Game Pass? There is. It's on cloud console and PC. Paw Patrol, Mighty Pups, Save Adventure Bay. Uh, Race with Ryan, also out. Uh, Record of Lotus War, Deedlet and Wonder Labyrinth. Oh, I love that name. Uh, that is a basically a Castlevania Symphony of the Night thing. Uh, Imran's been playing it, liked it a lot. So that's out on Game Pass. Uh, Transformers Battlegrounds, also on Game Pass. Uh, that came out last week. 
PC Game Pass got a lot of attention at the Game Awards. Uh, we have a few upcoming titles to tell you about. Pigeon Simulator, Sniper Elite 5, Trek to Yomi, and an unannounced game from Huge Calf Studios. Those will be day ones uh, over at um, uh, PC Game Pass. But two games that are already there, Serious Sam 4 and Townscaper, uh, are both available on PC Game Pass right now. Townscaper is great. You can play it in a browser, I believe. Um, uh, but if you want the full thing, it's out on PC Game Pass, and it's a really cool, really chill game. You just build little dioramas. with It's kind of a nice little tool set. It's really relaxing. I like it a lot. Um, some DLC that came to Game Pass. We have an Ark Survival Evolved Free Lost Island Map, Minecraft Dungeons Cloudy Climb, and Elder Scrolls Online new life festival event uh that stuff's on game pass the elder scrolls online event only lasts through january 4th uh there's some perks if you're an xbox game pass person you got some cool perks i'll just tell you about one of them halo infinite multiplayer uh this month you got a past tense ma40 ar bundle uh that's got some like xp boost and challenge swaps and a, a, a skin for the m MA40 assault rifle. Can you believe that? And hey, if you play stuff on uh, on cloud on your phone, there are Xbox touch controls coming to 10 more games. So if you're an Ultimate Pass member, you got that cloud stuff. We got Astria Ascending. We got Bug Fables, the Everlasting Sapling. We got Dicey Dungeons. We got Fae Tactics. We got I Am Fish. We got One Step for Mean. We got Ring of Pain. We got the Gunk. And we got Sable. Sable is touch controlled on Xbox Game Pass Cloud. That's great. Uh, leaving the console on December 31st. You don't have a ton of time. Pro Evo Soccer 2021. A Little Acre. And then the big ones. Yakuza 0. Yakuza Kiwami 1. Yakuza Kiwami 2. Those three games are leaving Game Pass. So play them now. You're not going to be able to beat all three of them before the 31st. So start Yakuza 0. Maybe you'll get through it. But if you want to use your membership discount, that's 20%. Go ahead and buy those other ones. Um, but you know what? Also, Kiwami 1 and 2 are on sale a lot. So I don't know. Maybe this is an indication that they won't be on sale uh, for a while. But uh, just in case, if you want those games, you want to keep them, don't uh, outright own them. They are leaving Game Pass on December 31st. Womp womp. That's sad. Um, I don't really have any picks for streaming. There's a lot of stuff coming out on Christmas Day, like the Matrix, uh, uh, Matrix Resurrections over on HBO Max. Don't forget that. There's a lot of like the, the new Macbeth is coming to I think Apple Plus on on uh, on uh, Christmas Day. So there's some stuff on Christmas Day to look out for. But I have to tell you, one of my favorite shows I've watched this year is Hawkeye. I know I'm not. I can't. I can't describe to you how weird it is to tell you that I think a Marvel show this year is one of the best shows I've seen. I thought Hawkeye was great. I'm surprised because it's got Jeremy Renner in it. That guy's real weird, but the, the show is really good. I really liked it. Um, I've only seen up to up, up, up through episode five. I won't talk about any of the spoilers. Don't worry about it, but just, you should check it out. Um, I've also heard the new Spider-Man's great. So I'm going to check that out this, uh, this week. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's getting you ready for a lot of stuff. That has, that has happened, that will happen, but for the most part, enjoy the stuff you've already got, right? I mean, you're going to get some stuff for Christmas if you celebrate. You're, you've probably already gotten some stuff. You can just chill this week and play some of that stuff. Um, take it easy. Put your feet up. 
that is going to do it for our show this week. I, I told you it was a good one. I wasn't lying. Uh, if you want to follow my wonderful producer, Paul Tamayo, who helped me put together this amazing episode, you can follow him at Polymayo over on Twitter. Please listen to the optional podcast. It's it's Paul's podcast that he hosts with Cam Brewster. It's amazing. It's right here on the Fanbyte Network. We love it. It's a really good show. I love winding down my day with it because I just love their voices. <clears throat> <clears throat> my voice got real weird there though and it's gonna stay in the outro uh i also want to thank my guests this week of course nate austin uh does not have a huge social presence but you can find everything you need to know about wildermyth at wildermyth that is w i l d e r m y t h wildermyth uh and of course if you can't get enough wildermyth um we talk about it all the time on the show we're going to talk about it on a goatee podcast that's coming out later this week we have an entire 99 potions episode about wildermyth this game is great you should go play it i really mean it Another game that's really good is Beast Breaker, and the Vodio folks that stopped by and talked about the uh, their new labor union, Vodio Workers United, uh, I want to thank them. Miriam LaChapelle, you can find her over at uh, M-L-L-E Pilgrim. That is Millie Pilgrim over on Twitter, and if you want to follow Gemma, you can do so at Bison Fisticuffs, which is one of the best Twitter handles I think I've ever heard. Uh, also, yeah, Vodio is great. You should go check them out. Uh, Beast Breaker, again, I mentioned this earlier, is going to be 50% off starting this week for uh, like a couple weeks over on the Epic Game Store and Nintendo Switch. Oh my gosh, longest outro ever. Sorry. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. I, I Everyone that is uh, celebrating Christmas and is off this week, Merry Christmas. I hope you have a restful holiday. Uh, we'll be back on the 26th. That is the day after Christmas with a new episode. Who knows what that one's going to be like? It could be totally buck wild. It could be really relaxing. Who knows? Uh, but that's going to do it. And until next week, you're welcome. Vodio Games is an independent game studio specializing in what they call cozy, crunchy games. Games that are charming and intimate while managing to be devilishly rich in systems interactions. (laughs) What what, what, what was that? I'm just going to throw myself into a ravine. (laughs) It was good. Paul, will you please attach this to the end of the episode? Okay, thank you. (laughs)